If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this November the 11th. Actually, 12th. Well, 11th or 12th. We, the Sunday is the 12th, 2017, but we're taping this on a Saturday uh, for uh, scheduling reasons. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. And our number two, our guest, is um, somebody I'm really looking forward to speaking to, although he and I don't always get along. Oddly enough, we're about the uh, the two uh, most vocal people uh, about a topic on which we are in the smallest minority that one could ever possibly imagine, even though we're both positive that we're right. Uh, and this is the issue of the whole Penn State, uh, Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno scandal. I've been telling you for quite some time that, uh, contrary to what everybody in the news media wants to believe, that not only was the Penn State scandal a myth, but Jerry Sandusky as insane as it sounds to someone who hasn't been following things, is actually innocent, and it's not even close. Well, this week, uh, on the sixth anniversary of this story becoming a, a massive media firestorm back in 2011, uh, there was a brand-new book that was released by Mark Pendergrass the, called The Most Hated Man in America, Jerry Sandusky, and The Rush to Judgment, which actually has a chapter about me, although that's not why we're going to speak to Mark. Uh, this should be a very interesting interview. So joining us now is Mark Pendergrass. He is the author of many books, but most recently, the one we're going to talk about today, The Most Hated Man in America, Jerry Sandusky and the Rush to Judgment. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. All right, this will be interesting on a number of levels. Uh, the, obviously, as you well know, I've devoted uh, much of my life over the last several years to this very subject. You this week uh, released a book. It's available on Amazon and via other mediums uh, that appears to conclude that Jerry Sandusky is, shock of all shocks to those who have not really followed the story, actually innocent. Is that the conclusion of your book? Yes. Um, I, you know, this is my personal conclusion after a lot of research, and I think it's the same conclusion that you've come to after all your research. And uh, let me just add, there's a chapter about Mr. Ziegler in my book, uh, and I give him full credit for being sort of the lone voice in the wilderness, being willing to go out on a limb uh, 
at the cost of uh, to his career and, and everything else because he uh, became convinced that this was a really uh, a crazy rush to judgment. So my book is following along uh, in your footsteps, John. Well, we'll talk about uh, that chapter about me because, you know, it's really not about me. It's more about the fight for the truth and, and justice in this case. But I appreciate you saying right, that. Right, right, right. But, but that's certainly true. No, but let's, but let's talk about how it is that you came to this conclusion. You and I have, have I think, different roots, very different roots to, to both the positive and the negative as to how we came to this conclusion. What convinced you first of all what even convinced you to start looking at this case and then what convinced you that sandusky against the entire force of the conventional wisdom the media industrial complex and the state of pennsylvania everything else what convinced you that jerry sandusky was innocent well it's going to be a little bit of a long answer but a woman named glenna kirker who lives in oregon had read my book about repressed memories and she emailed me one day out of the blue sometime in 2013, and she said, have you looked into the Jerry Sandusky case? There was a lot of repressed memory involved. And my initial reaction was, well, you know, I'll look at anything, uh, uh, especially if it has to do with uh, a subject I've written a book on. But surely he's guilty because we all know that this coach saw him uh, molesting a kid in the shower. And she said, well, you know, that's not true either. You, but you, you should look at the whole thing. And so I did. And I was already working on another book, under contract for another book. But I became, as you know, sort of absorbed in this case. It's just fascinating to think that, you know, when something like 35 uh, people have now come forward saying he abused them, that this could possibly have a problem with this case. But it... It turns out that when you look at it closely and you take each allegation one at a time, it, uh, it, it smells very highly of fish. So let me just go through, uh, if you don't mind, a few reasons why I gradually came to this conclusion. The first thing I wanted to do was to interview his children. You know, as you know, he adopted six children. All of them were adopted. Ironically, one of the reasons the reason they had to adopt children was because Jerry Sandusky has very low sperm count. He has low testosterone, which would indicate a uh, low sex drive, generally speaking. So anyway, I figured if he was a serial pedophile, if he was attracted to young boys particularly, five of these adopted children were boys. So, you know, they're not blood relatives, so he probably would have done something with them. So I interviewed the four who uh, continued to support him, and we can talk about Matt Sandusky, the one who flipped on him in a, in a bit, I assume. But So I talked to all the other four, plus his daughter, uh, Kara, and they all told me pretty much exactly the same thing. No, Dad never uh, molested us at all. He was touchy-feely. He was like in a leave-it-to-beaver world where of uh, sort of innocence and naivete. He grew up in this rec center. Uh, he treated the second-mile kids the same way he treated us, like they were his children, and that's part of the problem. But, no, he didn't do anything. So that was interesting. And then, you know, I talked to Dottie and got to know her, his wife, and she certainly uh, 
if he was a pedophile, had absolutely no clue. She was very, very supportive of him. So then I thought, well, you know, he, Jerry himself maintains his innocence. I'll go visit him in prison. So I visited him a couple of times, as you have, um, and he certainly uh, uh, does maintain his innocence. And I, then I, you know, I found a, an expert in pedophiles named Dr. Fred Berlin. He's at Johns Hopkins. And I said, you know, in your experience, do most pedophiles, particularly ones who have been convicted or accused of, of many uh, abuses, do they maintain their innocence or do they admit they did it but maybe rationalize it? And he said, they almost all admit they did it. They'll try to do a plea bargain if they can. And he said, the only one that I know of who did maintain his innocence was eventually exonerated by DNA evidence and, and let out of prison. Let me stop you right so, there, Mark. Mark, let me stop you right there. Because Fred Berlin, okay. Fred Berlin is an important part of this story. Uh, and that is that Fred Berlin was hired by the Paterno family to be a part of the so-called Paterno Report, which they used at the time to effectively, in my view, politically try to throw Jerry Sandusky under the bus as far as they possibly could to show how against pedophilia they are. And so here you have a guy who has been used by effectively opponents of Jerry Sandusky who helped convince you that Sandusky was innocent. Is that, is that a fair assessment? That's true. I mean, what he said was one of the contributing factors. to, And, and he ended up writing a very nice uh, uh, comment about the book on the back cover of it. So well, that, that'll, that'll, that will, if there's nothing else accomplished by your book, that will piss off Scott Paterno to no end. Uh, that the guy he paid is helping to promote your book or, or your conclusions at all. Scott Paterno, the, the son of Joe Paterno, who I actually blame for a lot of this. So I just don't want you to miss the significance of that. That, okay. is, that, that is significant. So go ahead. So continue. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, about the Paterno family. I did, tr of course, I tried, you know, once I got into this, I'm, you know, you said I've written a lot of books. I'm, I'm pretty well known for, you know, very thorough research. So I wanted to talk, of course, to Sue Paterno, uh, Joe's widow, and, and to his children. But um, basically, Scott, who is a lawyer, uh, didn't want his mother to talk to me, and, and so she didn't. And his attitude, as you know, <laughs> basically has been that uh, Jerry Sandusky was guilty as sin, but that his father didn't know about it. And I've been trying to say to them, look, you know, I don't think Jerry Sandusky did anything, in which case your father clearly, <laughs> totally is innocent. Right. Um, but they don't, they don't want to hear that, apparently. Well, you, you understand why. Uh, you understand why, right? Well... Partly, the families didn't get along that well in the first place. That's uh, but true. why don't you tell me why you think that is? Well, it's an incredibly important piece of this puzzle. Because Scott Paterno, on the day before J uh, Joe Paterno was fired, six years ago this week, November 8, 2011, in a desperate attempt to try to save his father's job, goes out on the front lawn of Joe Paterno's house in front of a massive crowd and television cameras and very emotionally and dramatically declares Jerry Sandusky to be guilty. He is completely and totally invested in Jerry Sandusky's guilt. 
And therefore, he and he has told me, he has told me he will not allow anything that remotely supports Jerry Sandusky or even questions Mike McQuarrie, the only witness in this case, to be said in the name of the Paterno family. And that's not because he cares about the truth. It's because he cares about his own investment in a mythological narrative, which if it turns out to be false, and you and I both know that it is, this is all his fault. This is all his fault. And deep down, I think he knows it, which is why I, I, I basically rent space in his head. I, you know, I'm, I am incredible. I am so far up his head, he doesn't know what, what to do with it. Uh, because I'm the only guy calling him out because I figured it out a long time ago that that was what was happening here. So this is an important piece. to the, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to this perfect storm puzzle, but that's an important one. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the reason that I ended up writing this book was that it is so comp- Let me Let me just quote something from your book about this, which is online, called The Betrayal of Joe Paterno, which you published online in 2013. And I love this quote. You said, you wrote, here is what I think probably really happened in the most amazing, depressing, fascinating, troubling, perplexing, frustrating, unpredictable, and ultimately significant saga with which I have ever been intimately familiar. So, it really does take a book. Uh, whatever we talk about here, I hope that whoever is listening to it will actually, you know, uh, my mantra for this whole thing is read the book, RTB, read the book, mm-hmm. then come to a conclusion, because we're not going to cover everything in, the, in oh, this no, conversation. This... And just let, me, let me just say one thing about Scott Paterno. Uh, you know, I am not going to call names. I I just hope that the Paterno family, including Scott and Jay uh, and Sue and and the rest of the family, I I hope that they will read read my book. And I, you know, and then I'm more than willing to hear what anybody thinks of it, but but first <laughs> they ought to read it. Well, I'm so, I'm more than willing. I've I've uh, asked Scott Paterno to debate me about this for years. I've offered him ten thousand dollars to his charity of choice to do so. Uh, I've made him other offers that were at least as uh, maybe not as lucrative, but as, certainly at least as enticing. And he's afraid to do it. He knows I would eat his lunch. And and frankly, you know, he, he you said that he prevented Sue, his his mother, from speaking to you. There's there's a very good reason why that was, because Sue's story discredits Mike McQuarrie, and there's going to be proof that is going to come out about that, uh, hopefully very soon. So, uh, well, that, I, go ahead. That would be great. I, I you know I, I'm not sure what she would have said. I, I would still love to talk to her. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Mike McQuarrie for a second because you ask why I thought uh, Sandusky was innocent, and the reason that I thought he was guilty when I first knew about the case was because of Mike McQuarrie saying he saw basically uh, uh, Jerry Sandusky standing behind this boy with his hips moving. And so although he never claimed that he totally witnessed sodomy, the implication was clearly that that's what he witnessed. But it turns out, as you and I know, but as the media doesn't want to report, Mike McQuarrie didn't see anything in the shower. He, uh, he heard slapping sounds that night as he told his father and his father's employer, Dr. Jonathan Drainoff. He heard slapping sounds that he interpreted as sexual. 
And it was only nine years later when the police came to him and said, oh, we know Sandusky is this evil pedophile, that he revised his memory. And a lot of my book is about memory and how it works. And it's not just repressed memory. It's the way all of our memories work. We tend to think back on things with the prejudice that we have now, and we can reinterpret the past, and we can actually rewrite the past. Every one of our memories is not totally accurate, and it is subject to, to, to manipulation and change. And I, I, I'm not going to go on about this because Elizabeth Loftus, you said you might have her on, and she's the world's expert on it. She'll tell you all about it. But um, at, at any rate, um, and, and we know who was in the shower. There was a, a kid named uh, Alan Myers. He was, I think, 14 at the time. And not only did Sandusky say this, so did Alan Myers, and he went to um, see uh, Joe Amendola and his investigator, Curtis Everhart, uh, shortly after the, the grand jury presentment That's came San- down in Sandusky's, November of 2011. Sandusky's attorney, Joe Amendola. So this is, this is the, the boy who uh, Jerry says was in the shower that night and who he himself said was in the shower that night and who had information in the interview that he would give to Jerry Sandusky's defense attorney and his uh, his investigator, Mr. Everhart, that you just referenced, that only the boy in the shower could possibly have known at that time. And, uh, and what did he say? He said, Jerry Sandusky never molested me ever. He was a very important person to me. I asked him to stand up my uh, senior uh, uh, football game as my father. Uh, he came to my graduation. I drove many miles to come to his mother's funeral. I lived with Jerry Sandusky for a uh, summer. Uh, he is a great guy, and I don't believe any of these stories that any of the other children are telling them. Telling they're all just in it for the money. And uh, uh, I will never say anything bad about Sandusky. And the only people that I'm mad about, he said, are the police, because when I told them that he didn't do it, they basically pressured and threatened me and made me feel very uncomfortable. But I wouldn't back down. Now. And and let's be clear. Before you go uh, on, before you go on, Mark, he said this. Alan Myers didn't. And also, by the way, uh, you know, he invited Jerry and Dottie to his wedding. Uh, as and uh, which had occurred just about a year before this, and it's important to note, Alan Meyer said all this as a 24-year-old married sergeant in the Marine Corps. Now th- that is that that to me is an incredibly important piece of context here. This is not a uh, frightened 12-year-old boy uh, that you know is being asked about this and doesn't want to admit to sexual abuse. This is a married Marine adult. And he says this on multiple occasions and, in fact, even wrote a letter to the editor in his own name. That's right. Supporting Jerry in multiple newspapers before he even got arrested. But after the allegations right. had been published locally. Yeah. And the, the terrible thing about this case and, and the, the reason that you and I both are fearful that the uh, mainstream media, it doesn't matter what you say about this case, they are stuck on their abuse narrative and they're not going to reveal any of these facts. You sat there on both CNN and the Today Show waving this document where Alan Myers had said all this, and they weren't the least bit interested in looking at that document or letting you quote from it. That's astonishing. It just drove me crazy when I, well, I watched... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, just to, to clarify, uh, the Today Show prevented me from saying his name, 
And I, I purposely waved it thinking, okay, somebody in the media is going to contact me to find out what was said. This is the freaking Today Show. It's the number one morning show in America. I'm on with Matt Lauer. I got not one legitimate media inquiry about that. Not one. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing when I, you know, I had a battle with Pierce Morgan that night on, on CNN. And they're just not interested. They're five-year-olds with Santa Claus. They don't want to know the truth. They don't. It is way too dangerous to their worldview. Uh, they don't want it. You know, I, uh, one of the books that I cited in this that I'd like to plug here is a book by Carol Chavris and Elliot Aronson called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. <laughs> it is one of the best books. Okay. It's one of the best books I have ever read. I think everyone in the world should read this well, book. Let's fo- let's and focus on. Well, hold is, on a second, Mark. Let's just focus on your book. <laughs> We're, we get, we only plug well, so, just, so many. Let me just let, let me just make the one one little point that they made. When people make a huge mistake, they are invested in it, and they are right. not. It's very unusual for them to change their mind. I think that's what's happened in this case. Right. So anyway, Agreed. when I discovered that the McQuarrie the McQuarrie story falls apart when you look at it. The victim number one, whose name was Hold uh, on, hold Aaron, on, hold on. Before, uh, before, before we go to Aaron Fisher, I want to f- finish up with McQuarrie. Because to, to me, okay. pe- pe- people need to understand just how ridiculous uh, the quote-unquote evidence surrounding the McQuarrie episode is. Because it's the heart of the case. It's the only witness in the whole case. And it's the reason why it's Joe... Certainly the, it's certainly the heart. It's why the case exploded. Right. It's why um, uh, Paterno was fired. It's why, right. yes. uh, you know, All et cetera. That. All of that. Just this week, Mark, and I, and I know you'll, you won't find this at all surprising, I had an email exchange with Jerry Sandusky from prison where... We're still trying to figure out what day this actually happened. And the prosecution itself, when the story broke and the crap hit the fan and Paterno was fired and the world changed back six years ago this week, they said it happened in March of 2002. They later, very seepishly and under the radar, said, oh, by the way, we got that wrong. It wasn't a little bit wrong. We got the date wrong. We got the month wrong. We got the year wrong. And they said it was February 9th, 2001. Well, I, when I interviewed Jerry, still thinking he was guilty, Jerry never to this day still does not believe that date. And I thought at the time he's either trying to be deceitful or he's out of solitary confinement and he just can't remember properly. And I didn't give it a lot of weight. Well, but some things have come out recently that have made me rethink is even that February 9th date plausible? And I no longer think it is. I believe really? I believe there is a better than 50-50 chance that Mike McQueary sat on that story for weeks or maybe even a month before he came forward to tell Joe Paterno. And the reason why he came forward to tell Joe Paterno was that he was using it as an excuse to get FaceTime with his head coach as a lowly graduate assistant one day after he found out there was an open job that he wanted when Kenny Jackson left Penn State to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers to be the new wide receiver, to leave the wide receiver's coaching job at Penn State, a job that McQuarrie would not get which, of course, he would if there was a cover-up, but would get three years later when it opened up a second time. I th- and and you know, part of why I've concluded this is, one, Jerry Sandusky, who you, I think, would agree, 
not a totally bright guy all the time, but very honest. I've never caught him in one lie. And he has insisted consistently that date doesn't make any sense. It was way earlier than that. And if you remember, McQuarrie's first story was this was spring break. That's in March. In his mind, it was a right. it was a it was a break from school. We know so that you think it was you think it was like March of the previous year. No, 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 well, no, no. Hear, hear me out. So okay, his his, his original story is this was spring break. So McQuarrie, let's pretend McQuarrie's honestly trying to figure out when the hell this was. In his mind, it's a break from school. There's no one around. The place is empty. He comes in. He sees Jerry and Alan Myers in the shower, okay? I buy that. But we know because of documentation, it couldn't have been as late as March. It, was, it, it, was, it had to be, at the very latest, March 9th, because we have documentation of meetings starting with February 10th, okay? So, so February 9th is the last day it could have possibly been, because we know there's a series a chain of events at Penn State that is very well documented. If you're if you give McQuarrie the benefit of the doubt and he's right about it being a break, what's the previous break to spring break? It's winter break, Christmas break. Right. When does Jerry say it happened? Jerry is positive it happened over Christmas winter break because he, right. in his mind, and he always has, he was consistent with this every time I asked him about it. His, in his mind, this happened in connection to him losing out on the Virginia head coaching job and the publishment of his book, Touched, which ended up effectively convicting him, uh, which occurred at the beginning of 2001. He, he says he had a book signing that day, and he took Allen to the book signing, and then they went to Penn State, and that night they, after, uh. they showered. I think... I, gun to my head, and I can't prove it yet. I'm trying. Of course, you can't. no one wants to help because of the toxic nature of the subject. I am becoming more convinced that this thing happened up to a month before McQuarrie ever told Paterno. And I actually think, oh. and I, just to finish the thought, I actually think the meeting that you referenced that Mike facilitated, which was used as dramatic evidence that that what he saw was so horrible that he immediately met with his dad and his dad's employer. I think that that meeting was provoked by the Jackson job opening up, not by I just saw Jerry Sandusky in the shower with a boy. That's my theory right now. I can't be sure, yeah. but but that but but think about how insane it is that six years later we still don't know. And this is the episode you know, that destroyed a, everything. Yeah, it would, it would, it would make some sense in terms of, you know, when Tim uh, Curley, who was exactly the, the head of the athletic department, he went to talk to Jerry about this incident. Right. Um, and Jerry didn't remember it. Exactly. Um, which always struck me as a little strange if it had just happened like a week or two before. Exactly. So what you're what you're saying would make more sense. And then Jerry realized who it was. And by the way, this is what really drives me crazy. Jerry offered to tell Tim who this boy was and to bring him in. So you want to talk to him? Would you, would you like me to tell you who it is? And we'll bring him in. You can talk to him. And Tim said, no, nah, no, nah, we don't need to do that. If, if they had done that, none of this would have happened. And, I, Some, and, I, know. and my sense is that Tim Curley feels enormous guilt about that reality uh, it is my understanding that tim curley will not discuss this case with anybody at all uh, and yep. uh, he is he is crushed by it and, I, and my guess is it's purely a guess 
uh, based upon you know putting the pieces of what I know the, of this puzzle together, that it's because of that very moment that you're talking about. If he had made that mm-hmm. phone call, if he makes that phone call back in 2001, then none of this story ever happens. And the re- ironically, the reason he didn't make the phone call was not because there was a cover-up. It was because, in my view, I think you'll agree, he was so totally convinced that this was a big nothing burger that he didn't want to bother the kid. That, that's my guess. That's right. He didn't think it was necessary. He just thought, you know, this is Jerry horsing around the shower with a kid, and, that, and and it's not a big deal. We'll tell Jerry not to bring kids on campus anymore because, you know, it doesn't look good if when people get all bent out of shape. But it was Jerry horsing around with a kid. All right. Like, all right. Do, do, do you mind if I uh, – can can I talk about the repressed memory stuff? I, I know you don't think this is as important as I do, but it is. I, you know, we're gonna, we're absolutely we're absolutely going to get to repressed memory and why we disagree about its role. But first, I want to ask you about something that's not in your book that I think is very significant because uh, it, it tells a lot about the nature of the news media and how this case was allowed to be blown. In the 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 proposal for you your book you put several quotes from high profile people who are supportive of your book all right and one of the quotes well, yeah they were saying it should be they were saying it should be published right? right one of them is bob costas nbc sports legend and a guy who played a key role in this case because it was his interview with jerry sandusky who effectively ended up ending any hope that he was ever going to be acquitted of these charges because, I mean, after Paterno was fired, he's already got two and a half strikes against him, and then he he blows the Costas interview with some very strange answers that I now understand. I think you do, too, once you get to know Jerry and what a goofball and a doofus he is. We should probably tell the audience a little bit about this. You know, his lawyer gave him 15 minutes notice that he wanted him to talk to Costas with no preparation whatsoever. And when Costas said, are you sexually attracted to boys, Jerry answered in a way that almost nobody except Jerry would have said. He said, sexually attracted to boys? Hmm. (laughs) Sexually attracted? Hmm. (laughs) No. You know, and it's like, what is the matter with this man? So anyway, it was a disastrous interview. It's sort of well, the way Jerry is, but as no, you that's, said. No, that's uh, exactly yeah, how he talks. It was a disastrous, yeah, and, and, and Bob was very nice, and when I talked to him, he said, you know, I don't know whether Jerry is uh, innocent or not. I'm certainly not going to go and say he's innocent, but, right, well, you know, I've read enough of your thing to say that it was, uh, you know, it should be published. Well, well hold on a second. So just, just to re- revisit slightly here. So, ironically enough, Mark, I don't know if you know this, as bad as the Costas interview was, and I knew it was a disaster PR-wise, that was the first moment I started to think he might be innocent. Because I, 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 right. I look at the world a little bit differently than, than most people, and I know, I know football coaches exceedingly well. I've written a book about uh, football. I've been a high school football coach myself. I've covered football. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of these coaches, uh, they, have, they are very intelligent in the realm of football, and outside of football, they are complete doofuses. And, um, and, and, and no, they are. They, they're, and, and Jerry is a classic example of this. And, when, and to me... When I heard that, I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. What we're being told is that this guy's a lifelong pedophile, and he would be having to have lived with this his entire existence, and he doesn't have an answer prepared for are you sexually attracted to young boys? Because if he is sexually attracted to young boys, 
It's all he's ever thought about his whole adult life. And he and he's 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 pondering this clearly like it's the first time he's ever thought of it. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. That doesn't make any flipping sense. But let's go to Costas. Okay, so in in the book proposal, Costas, who I have gotten to know a little bit, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've probably exchanged dozens of emails with him over the last several years, talked to him a couple of times. I, I think that, he, I, to his credit, he has done a better job of keeping up to date on what's really going on in this case than any high-profile member of the media. And he told you, quote, in a way... I became part of the Sandusky story when I interviewed him for NBC soon after the allegations were made public. Sandusky's stumbling and seemingly incriminating answers convicted him in the court of public opinion, and subsequently they were used by the prosecution during the trial. I am not prepared to say that Sandusky's conviction on multiple charges was incorrect. I am, however, willing to consider credible information backed by solid research. From what I have read, Mark Pendergrast has a case to make. It deserves a hearing. Many aspects of the Sandusky case, including a likely rush to judgment regarding Joe Paterno, should be reexamined with care. An informed public can then decide. Mark Pendergrass's book could well be a useful part of that reexamination. That was in your book proposal. What happened when you went to use that for the book itself? Um, yeah, I, I asked Bob if I could use that, and I was quite surprised. He said no. Uh, and he pretty much made it clear that he was worried that, uh, uh, you know, he would be pilloried uh, for it, the same way I'm worried about being pilloried for writing the book. But, uh, yeah, it's too bad. It would, have made a, it would have been a very nice quote to put on the back of the book. Well, hold on. Why did you even bother to ask him? He had already given you this quote. Why did you ask for it to be used again? Well, because using it in a book proposal and then using it on the back of a book are two different things. It's just not the way I would ever do anything. I, I, wait a minute. He gave, know, he, if he, I'm going to put... Wait a minute. He gave you a quote that right. that he knew you were going to use in, in some sort to, to other people, right? I mean, that's the purpose of a book proposal. You're going to send it to other people to get the book published. Right. So it's, it's not as right. if this was a off-the-record statement that Bob Costas made to you. I, I, to me, I, I don't understand why you – there's two things I don't get. Why you would ever go back to him – I get you want to be a nice guy. I get it. But you're, you're – you know, and, you, and I've told this to you many times. I think you're very naive about the nature of this case. I think you've been living in an in a, in a, in a ivory tower and in, 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 in your book writing your whole life, and you don't understand the jungle that is this case and all the rules being That's different. Quite- I'm, I'm quite sure that that, that uh, you have a point. I, it's just <laughs> but, you know I, I have been you know this is like my 14th book and right. uh, I it's just not the way I worked. Okay, on. I, okay. I wouldn't do that. Okay, so well, to me you were on fine ethical ground to use a quote that Bob Costas gave you. But here's where I'm really confused. So Bob Costas yeah. denies denies your. <laughs> Ability, which I don't know how you could do this, since you'd, you're he's already on the record with a quote, and there's no there's no fundamental you know reason why that quote would have changed in the time period since he gave it to you. So you ask him, and he says no, he wasn't saying he wasn't saying the quote was inaccurate. He just didn't want me to use it. No, I, I got the book. I got it. So you're being exceedingly nice, and I think giving him far more rights than he deserves. But here's the other thing. So then, why not use the fact that he? reneged on giving you this 
this quote, which to me is a significant quote. I mean, we've got to remember, this is a guy who's part of the case. He, his interview is a big part of the reason why people think Sandusky is guilty, and he is totally open to the idea that Sandusky is innocent, clearly, and especially with regard to Joe Paterno. Why not use his reneging on that quote to create publicity for your book? Because it's the only way, in my view, your book's going to get any kind of media publicity. Why not use that? Um... Well, you know, maybe I should. I don't know. I'll, I'll talk to my publisher about it. I just, I, I, you know, I'm very careful if somebody tells me. Anyway, let 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 we can we can discuss this further off uh, off radio. <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> All right. I take your point. I take your point. All right. So let's go to repressed memories then, and then this gets us to the the the, the so-called accusers. All right. So yeah. So so, so you were going to mention. Accuser number one, Aaron Fisher. He's a public figure. He's written a book with his mother and his therapist. His therapist is a key part of this whole situation, a guy by the name of Mike Gillum. And you have previously written a book called Victims of Memory, which deals with this issue of repressed memories and how they can that concept can be used nefariously to create false accusations, especially in the realm of sexual yeah. abuse. So tell us your view of let Aaron me, let Fisher. Let me just mention, I, I, I have a new book called Memory Warp, which uh, you've got too, I believe. Um, it's in my hand. So Memory Warp is, is a revi- uh, updated version of that. So. I, Really, my Sandusky book, The Most Hated Man in America and Memory Warp, are sister publications. They ought to be read together, although they're both like 400 pages long. But So anyway, I read this book, Silent No More, by Aaron Fisher and Mike Gillum, basically, uh, sort of ghost-written, but they all tell them. And I read in it where Fisher says, I was good at pushing it, memories of abuse, all away. Once the weekends with Jerry were over, I managed to lock it all deep inside my mind somehow. That was how I dealt with it until next time. Mike Gillum, his therapist, has explained a lot to me since this all happened. He said that when I w- what I was doing is called compartmentalizing. I was in such denial about everything. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, this is repressed memories. This is what's going on here. He didn't remember any of this stuff. In fact, Gillum tells you in the book that Aaron Fisher didn't tell him anything. He guessed. Gillum would guess what had happened to him, and then he would prod uh, Aaron to say, yeah, that's right. Um, Absolutely terrible, terrible interviewing and therapy technique. So... um, and let's that's be, that's let, what happened with Aaron Fisher. Well, let's be clear though. This is this goes way beyond because one of the many things that people don't get is they think there's no way 35 guys are lying, right? The 35 guys have gotten right. paid by Penn State over 100 million dollars now. It was just announced yesterday. They're over. They've 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 gone over the 100 million dollar mark uh, at Penn State uh, in giving to the accusers. What they don't understand is that Aaron Fisher is everything because Aaron Fisher is the only accuser in this case for the first two years of this. Uh, of the investigation that leads to Jerry Sandusky's arrest. And I, and I agree with you that silent no more. And I, I I think you're aware of this. I did a press conference outside of one of Jerry Sandusky's hearings where I literally tried to give members of the media copies of Aaron Fisher's book, silent no more, because when you read silent no more with a remote knowledge of the facts and an open mind, even a crack open, 
you have to go, what the hell? Because this book is just balderdash. There, it makes no yep. sense. It is absurd. And, it, and frankly, it is what convinced me uh, to, you know, to get into the 99 to 100 percentile when it came to Sandusky's innocence. Because if Sandusky was guilty, Fisher's book would prove it beyond any shadow of a doubt. And, you got, and people have to remember... There's no other evidence here. There's no pornography, which is unheard of. There, there's no text messages or phone calls that were, that were tape recorded, even though they tried surveillance phone calls between Aaron Fisher and Jerry Sandusky. There, there's no DNA. There, there's, I mean, there's, there is nothing concrete, nothing direct that, that even remotely indicates that Jerry Sandusky was sexually abusing anybody. So if Fisher is lying then what's clearly happened here is that the rest of this case is a domino effect off of Aaron Fisher. You agree with that, right? Well, I agree with everything except the part about necessarily lying. Uh, you know, one of the points I make uh, about repressed memories, and Elizabeth Loftus will tell you the same thing, you know, you can't disprove this theory, by the way. You can't say, oh, no, it doesn't happen. It's like trying to disprove ghosts because you can't prove a negative. But it's extremely unlikely that people can be traumatized for years at a time, have terrible childhood abuse, and completely forget the whole thing okay. until they're in therapy. Right. But that's what Mike Gillum believes. Now, he'll tell you, and he did say on the stand, oh, no, I don't practice repressed memory therapy. But he believes in it. He has the worst book in the world on his bookshelf about it called The Courage to Heal. And let me just read you one of the things that Mike Gillum wrote in this book. Abuse victims just want to numb themselves and push away the unpleasant memories. And he said he had to, quote, peel back the layers of the onion of the brain to get at them. And then he said, I was very blunt with Aaron when I asked questions, but gave him the ability to answer with a yes or no. That relieved him of a lot of the burden. And then Aaron Fisher says, Mike just kept saying that Jerry was the exact profile of a predator. When it finally sank in, I felt angry. This was a matter of uh, of, of brainwashing, basically. Right. Well, well, hold Aaron on a Fisher. second. Okay, let me give you a different theory, though. And this is where you and I differ uh, greatly on how this whole case went down and, and why I think that, you know, and I understand why you're coming to this the way that you are based upon your expertise in repressed memory your personal experience in it and uh, and there, there's no question that this is a, an important part of the case but i think you've misinterpreted how this ended up uh, facilitating false accusations i believe and, I, and i've told you this many times i believe that aaron fisher and others they didn't they don't believe that they repressed their memories what they did was that they figured out, and Aaron figured out, that this was the key to people believing why he never told this story before and why he denied it to his, to the, his high school, to a, a caseworker, to the police, uh, to, to other people, never told any of his friends, never told anybody about this. Aaron figured out, because Gillum kept convincing him of it that if i say that i've i've repressed these memories people will buy it and that i will end up doing what my mother wants which is to for me to make an accusation that might get us all a big new house and me to drive fancy sports cars which is ex well in the case 
in the case of Aaron Fisher, there's a lot of evidence that you have unearthed uh, and other people, but mostly you, that everybody thought he was a liar. Hard, hardly anybody in his hometown of Lock Haven uh, uh, believes him. A lot of his friends have told you. Uh, I would urge uh, uh, listeners to go to your website and look at some of the video that you have there uh, uh, about Aaron Fisher. So, yeah, I, you know, it's hard to tell. Let me just say about this repressed memory stuff. It's, it, used to be, it used to be a good excuse back in the 90s, but it's been so thoroughly debunked now that it's usually not paraded. In fact, it wasn't paraded in the trial. Right, well, you have to read what they, between the lines. And Joe Amendola was utterly clueless about repressed memories, and some of them clearly did believe them, like, for instance, Dustin Struble, right. who is uh, okay, number seven. All right, let's talk about that, because one of the things that your, your book does is it does provide new evidence with regard to one of the key accusers, number seven, Dustin Struble, who is one of the four kids who Jerry Sandusky mysteriously decided to put a, a picture of in his book. Because that's what most pedophiles do. They put, they put pictures of all of the people that they're abusing in their book just to make it easier for prosecutors to eventually find them. And that's exactly what, that, what the prosecutors did. They, they went through the book and they found the kids and they said, anything happened to you? And just lo and behold, four of the six arrest accusers all happened to know each other from that uh, that photograph in Jerry's book together, three of them were very yeah, close that's, friends. That's, that's a good point. By the way, you know, I don't think most people realize the police went on a trawling expedition. Right. They basically tried to interview every single second-mile kid that Jerry ever had anything right. to do with. They interviewed something like 600 right. kids. Right. And of those, they came up with, you know, hardly any. Right. They, what they don't advertise is that many of them told them, no, Jerry Sandusky never did anything to me. He was a great guy. He right. was a big mentor and influence for me, blah, blah, blah. Right. That never got advertised. It's also important to point out this pool that you're referring to of all these uh, former Second Mile boys, now men. This is a cesspool. We're talking about people with lots of drug issues, alcohol issues, unemployment issues. Maybe many of them were abused themselves. That's why they were in the Second Mile to begin with. So, so it's not difficult. Difficult to find when you go fishing like this. A few that might take the bait, and it's it's interesting that four of the six knew each other, and there's a lot of other uh, information that indicates that there was collusion between those four, and helped along by the main reporter in this case, Sarah Ganim, who contacted the mom of of one of these key uh, accusers. But let's go to number seven, okay? So so in your book, yeah, okay. in your book, you actually interview Dustin Struble, and, and, and by the way, just give us a sense of. How did you get Struble to speak to you? How did that happen? Well, you know, I told him that I was writing a book about the Sandusky case and that I was particularly interested in repressed memory issues. So I told him the truth, uh, and he agreed to meet with me. I came to, you know, I, I was on a research trip to Pennsylvania back in 2014, and I met him in his home, and, you know, we talked. And... You know, he's quite a likable young man. He he was honest with me about his drug problems uh, in the past and that he's on all kinds of uh, uh, antipsychotic and antidepressant drugs now. Um, and he told me, he said, yeah, uh, both of the therapists that I've gone to think I have repressed memories, and the one I'm working with now, whose name is Cindy McNabb, uh, still thinks that I have more to come out because I'm depressed and she thinks that I have to remember more abuse in order to get better and things like that. So 
you know, the, the main thing I asked him was, I said, well, Dustin, if I had come to you in 2010, before you ever saw the police, and I had asked you about Jerry Sandusky, would you have remembered any of this abuse? No. No, he would not have. He would have told me that he was a great mentor and a good guy and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that's one of the maddening things, just to jump a second, is that Judge Foradora, who just denied Jerry a, a new trial, said that Dustin Struble was not in repressed memory therapy before the trial, and that's simply a lie. That's not true. It's demonstrably not true. What, what, what he was saying was that, uh, you know, he wasn't hypnotized. Well, you can get repressed memories back in a lot of different ways other than hypnosis. Would it surprise you to know, because I don't think you do know this, I don't think you could know this, that when Struble went to get his money from Penn State, his attorneys went to great lengths to claim that the reason why he originally denied abuse and never said anything about his abuse was because he was fully aware of them, but he was afraid of coming forward for fear of the repercussions of doing so. Would that surprise you? No. It doesn't surprise me because, you know, as I said, lawyers are smart enough to know that if they say their evidence comes from repressed memories, those have been thrown out of many, many courts all over the country. It's not good evidence. It's, well, it's flawed. Well, part of, you know, as a cynic, uh, you know, when Struble testified at Jerry's uh, hearing, he, he left in a top-of-the-line Mercedes, um, which he obviously bought with his Penn State money. Uh, I, I realize that, um, you know, people will say, well, Ziegler, you're, you're not an expert on, on this. But it's, it's amazing to me that not only Struble, but every other accuser in this case who got a lot of money has spent their money on top-of-the-line cars so that they can be reminded of their abuse at every possible moment that they're driving in their cars. Because uh, that, to yeah. me, is, that's exactly the way I would, uh, I, I would respond. Um, I wouldn't put that money away in a, yeah. in a fund or anything. I'd be spending it on things that would remind me of my abuse by Jerry Sandusky on a constant basis. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah, well, let me, let, me, let me talk about money a second. I will, t you know, you think that the, the, the main uh, motivator is money. And I think that the main motivator clearly, clearly is money after November of 2011, because when that grand jury presentment came out, you know, everybody realized that the floodgates were going to open to uh, Penn State millions. But hold on a second. The first thing out of Aaron Fisher's mom's mouth to the neighbor the moment she hears Aaron say that Jerry makes me feel uncomfortable is, quote, I'm going to own that motherfucker's house. That's right. I quoted that okay, in the okay. book. That's the first thing out of her mouth. She's living in welfare housing. She's a welfare scam artist. And she and her, her brother had been involved in another high-profile sex abuse case where he was sexually abused by a man as a teenager and didn't get squat from it. So she, she knew of the lay of the land. She knew this time this was not going to end the same way. And she got everything she wanted. And she said on Facebook years later when someone confronted her about their money, she said, quote, Quote, we earned it. We earned right. it. We earned right. it. I quoted, yeah, I quoted that too. Yeah. <laughs> we we earned it. Under what under what scenario does that make any damn sense in this case? We earned it. What? Okay, now now all right. So much we I got to get to here, Mark. So um, you, which I didn't even know until this week, you have had access to all of Jerry Sandusky's medical records. Uh, including the records that I referenced on last week's podcast, that were quite startling. Right. That were quite startling 
to me and a couple other people who have who've also been uh, working on this case because uh, I had known about the low testosterone issue. I did not know that the testosterone is as low as it is. I mean, in 2008, Jerry Sandusky is falling asleep at the wheel. He goes to the doctor. Literally, he's falling asleep at the wheel. He goes to the doctor. Yeah, he had sleep apnea as well. Part of the problem is was he was, had undiagnosed sleep apnea. Okay, and, and his testosterone levels are as low as, I'm no expert on this, but I've never seen a situation where, where somebody had, of his situation had lower testosterone. He's 64 years old. He has almost no testosterone. And then there are a couple of things on the second page, which I don't think Amendola, Joe Amendola ever even read. There's a couple of things on the second page which really made me go, what the hell's going on here? Because in my view, two things. A 64-year-old Jerry Sandusky with the conditions described in that medical report, one, could not possibly have done the things he's accused of doing by Aaron Fisher and by number nine, Sebastian Payton, in 2008. And number two, if he had somehow done them, he had a distinguishing characteristic that somebody would have mentioned. Uh, do you have the same analysis of that situation? Do you agree with my, my analysis of, of that medical report? Yes, I do. Is it I a, think you're right. Uh, it, I mean, they talk about him having hypogonadalism. He, basically, he had either very, very small or, or non-existent testes. And your point, you, you, we, we t- you know, I, don't, I didn't put that in the book. I probably should have, uh, but uh, you're right. I think you're right. It, and it's just amazing and to the outside world, inconceivable, that something like this would never be brought up at trial. But I know, and you know, and I'll ask you to to relate your own experiences, if you know Dottie and Jerry, and you know how messed up this case is, and you know how overwhelmed and what a buffoon Joe Amendola is, uh, it is actually incredibly understandable that somehow something this big, something this important, would never see the light of day during a man's criminal trial. Yeah, let's talk about Amendola in a minute. He wanted to be liked. Yes. He was he had a terrible hearing problem which you if you read the transcript, he didn't even hear half of what people were saying. And he was completely unprepared for, for this trial, which he said at the beginning of the trial to the judge. He tried to back out of it and the judge wouldn't let him and he and he just went ahead with it. But he you know, there was uh, the thing that really bugs me about this is there was a tape recording with this uh, janitor. Now, one of the things that should never have been allowed into the trial was this hearsay evidence of this janitor who supposedly heard another janitor say that he had just seen Jerry Sandusky uh, giving oral sex to a boy in a shower at Penn State. And that was allowed to be testified to. Now, the reason that the janitor who supposedly saw this, whose name was Jim Calhoun, did not testify is that he had Alzheimer's by the time of the trial. Supposedly. And I think that's true. Well. But he, he had given a, ta- a taped interview back in 2011 with the police, which apparently Amendola had this tape, and I've heard it. And he says very clearly, yes, I saw somebody in the shower, uh, having, you know, oral sex with a boy, and it was very upsetting to me. But no, it was not Jerry Sandusky. Yes, I know Coach Sandusky. It was not him. Why would Amendola not use that if he had heard it? And he claims he had heard it and decided not to use it. Hello? 
That makes no sense. Well, Joe's story is, well, the guy had dementia, so therefore it wouldn't be, I don't know, fair or right. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. First of all, you're in a trial for a guy's life. You use everything you possibly can. But more importantly, let's I'm not even willing to cede what you're talking about, that Calhoun actually had Alzheimer's or dementia. Because if he did, why is the prosecution interviewing him, Mark? Why? They didn't. he, he, maybe he had the beginning of memory problems then, but if you listen to this tape, right. it's very, very clear that this is, you know, he's telling you something that's quite credible. No, I understand that. that. I, ha- I understand that. What I'm saying is it's inherently absurd to, to claim that this is not uh, credible evidence when the prosecution thought he was credible enough to interview him. If, if they didn't think he was, if they thought he was, his mind was gone, they wouldn't have interviewed him. So just by yep. virtue of the fact that they interviewed him and said three times, three times it was not Jerry Sadowski, uh, that alone, I mean, that, that, that so-called victim it's aid. It's mind-boggling. And what's, what's what more mind-boggling is the press will not print this. Yeah. No one in the media has made a they, – they've ignored this. Yes. It, it, along with uh, the statement by Alan Myers, along with so many other things. John, can I do one thing? Can I, I, I prepared so much for this interview. <laughs> okay. Can I read you a few of the things that some of these, uh, uh, quote, alleged victims said at the trial to indicate that they did have this repressed memory and nobody picked well, up on it? Can well, it just I, take no, me no, a couple I, of minutes? No, because, I, I, because people can buy the book and read it. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to, that you make that argument. Just say that people can read the book and see that these accusers said things that indicate that they were using repressed memories. They can decide for themselves, was that based on in, in what their true beliefs were, or was that based in what they realized was the key to people believing that they were telling something that was true for the first time after, uh, you know, the crap had hit the fan or the... Well, the I event- do, yeah, I, I, certainly, I certainly want them to read the book. Uh, I trust you. Know, I was you. just going to say, it wasn't just us. And Struble, okay. That's fine. There were at least three or four of these victims that said things like, you know, something along the lines of, oh, I tried to block this out of my brain forever and I don't remember it. Matt Sandusky also clearly was saying he had repressed all right. the memories of abuse until the middle of the trial okay. and he told all this to Oprah. I mean, it's just astonishing that nobody has paid any attention to this right. to me. I, and, that's why no, and I, I think, wrote the book. And, and Mark, I think it's an important point because. Uh, and, and I didn't get a chance to, to mention this earlier. Mike Gillum didn't just treat Aaron Fisher victim number one. He also treated before the trial victim number four. And victim number one and four were the only two claiming clear sex acts before Joe Paterno gets fired and the, you know, the world uh, turns upside down. And Mike Gillum is the th- same therapist for both of them. And Cynthia McNabb, who I know and I have direct evidence, is a huge proponent of repressed memories. She... Uh, w- was the therapist for um, at least two other uh, trial accusers, maybe three, including Matt Sandusky, who was not a-, a trial accuser, but who played an important role in the trial because the prosecution used him to intimidate Jerry into not uh, testifying really? on his behalf. Really? Uh, you're telling me something I did not know. I, I only know the name Cindy McNabb from Dustin Struble telling me this. Yeah, You're telling me that no- number 10, she was also the therapist... He- for for uh, uh, Matt Sandusky, hundred percent. I have unequivocal. Oh. I have unequivocal proof of this. 
I have, I have, I have really strong proof of this. So that's um, really interesting. Okay, so so let's talk about Matt for a second. You, you did something. Okay. You did something that I thought was extraordinary, but also uh, pissed me off. Uh, which you have, a, you have a, a, an incredible way of doing that. You, you do some remarkable things that piss me off, uh, Mark. Um, I'm and, sorry, John. And, and, I don't intend to piss uh, you off. I, I, but you you interviewed Matt Sandusky. You somehow got Matt Sandusky to speak to you. But you agreed to let him do it off the record. And now, you know, right. Matt Sandusky is a guy who is, in my view, the biggest liar in this whole case, the biggest scumbag in this whole case. I, 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 he ended up getting me arrested for sitting in my seat waiting for him to speak at a public event where I had a ticket in my own that name. That was truly unbelievable. Yeah, I, I wrote about that, too, that, yeah. that uh, he had you thrown out of a meeting that was open to the public. Where I had a ticket. Uh, it made no sense. Yeah, it was outrageous. In no any in, in any other case, it would have been major national news. But because it's this case, we just pretend it never happened because there's the media can't figure out who the good guy and the bad guy is, and they don't certainly don't want to make Matt the bad guy. Uh, and 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 by the way, anybody with half a brain goes, that's not the way a guy who's telling the truth acts. A guy who's telling the truth doesn't give a damn who's sitting in his audience waiting to hear him speak. Uh, and, and, oh, by the way, doesn't allow any cameras uh, to record what he's saying, uh, even though his whole purpose supposedly is to spread his word. But this is a guy who cost me at least $6,000 of my own money uh, to defend myself uh, and get all the charges thrown out. I mean, I was charged with some serious crap over that that hunk of baloney. Uh, and so I have a lot of animus, so I'll f- fully acknowledge, against a guy who I perceive to be the worst person in this case. But you interviewed him, and because it's not on the record, he gets to now claim that he, he uh, survived an interview with an adversarial interviewer with nothing to show for it. But what, what can you tell us about your conversation with Matt Sandusky? Well, I can't tell you about it because I agreed to have yeah. it off yeah, the record. See that? So great, would, great. Good John, job. Great, John, great. John, just let me, let me just say. Good work. Uh, I didn't. You know, he didn't tell me anything startling. What is startling is what I have in the chapter, you know, which you know, but the readers, uh, your listeners probably don't, which is that, you know, he totally defended his father under oath at the grand jury, his adoptive father. Then he flips on him. He goes to the police in the middle of the trial, and he says, oh, I'm beginning to have memories come back. I'm in repressed memory therapy. And... They say, well, do you remember oral sex, which seems to have been the holy grail for all these people was oral sex, the police and the lawyers, that's what they wanted. And he says, no, not yet. I don't remember it yet. So then he goes and he interviews with uh, Oprah, who says, well, now do you remember? Oh, yes, I've had my repressed memories come back. Now I remember oral sex. And Oprah doesn't bat an eye because she apparently believes in all this stuff. It's just incredible. And then he, you know, I'll tell you the result of my interview that I think that you can get mad at me for with Matt (laughs) is that he then, about a year later, after I talked to him, uh, came out with his book, Undaunted. And he's very careful to say, oh, no, I never had repressed memories, which is not true. And you can, you know, in his own words, it's clearly not true. But I think that's because of me wanting to ask him about repressed memories particularly. And so he got the wind up or something. But the other thing that's in there that you know, because you have this letter from his uh, former girlfriend, there, there was a young woman living in the Sandusky household at the same time that Matt was. They had a sexual affair. The Sanduskys found out about it. 
They were both teenagers. The Sandusky's put their foot down and said, this isn't happening in our house. The kids decided that they would go and dramatically commit suicide, sort of like uh, Romeo and Juliet. Right. And they failed at that. And now Matt is saying, oh, this was all from, you know, my abuse. Bull. So this young woman I've spoken to, you've spoken to, she's written a letter, and she doesn't believe any of this. And she said, you know, if he was being abused, why did he want to be adopted after the abuse at the age of 18? If he was being abused, why didn't he say anything to me about it when we were totally intimate, et cetera? So I, the, I think I did a pretty good job on that chapter on Matt Sandusky. By the way, um, Matt Sandusky told Penn State when he wanted to get his money, uh, one, he told Penn State that um, two Penn State uh, staff members of the football program witnessed it, even though that's not in his book. Kind of weird that you wouldn't put that in your book. In fact, he actually in the book defends Penn State against cover-up charges because he was looking for an audience for the book. So he never thought that the settlement claims would become public, but they will fairly shortly. Uh, and um, and that will be proven to be totally bogus. Well, it's amazing but, they gave him a settlement claim right. because – you know, the statute of limitation right. had they run didn't, out. They didn't give Penn, them, they Penn State didn't. clearly was just throwing money yeah. at basically anybody who walked in and said anything. It's right. unbelievable. They right. had well, no vetting of any of this. Correct. But he didn't, Incredible. You, you'll, you'll, you'll be glad to know he didn't get much money in comparison to the rest of these scoundrels. But, um, yeah. but by the way, he's now claiming he was abused up to the age of 22, which I found to be extra- oh. extraordinary. Uh, he, he was abused up to the age of 22. Uh, four years after he asked it to be adopted by uh, Jerry and Dottie uh, Sandusky. And, and Matt's not a small guy, by the way. And, uh, and, no. Matt, and Matt's not a, a timid guy. He's a guy who burned down a barn uh, when he was a kid uh, and <laughs> got into big trouble for that. Uh, so this is not a, a wallflower. Well, uh, he says that was a, uh, an accident. They didn't yeah. mean to burn it. <laughs> okay, but all right. Well, pe- people should go to YouTube and check out my video on why Matt Sandusky lied to Oprah Winfrey because his answer, his answer to Oprah Winfrey's question, how do we know you're telling the truth, makes uh, Jerry Sandusky's answers to Bob Costas seem perfect in comparison. <laughs> it's complete meltdown. I mean, it's like a Saturday Night Live sketch. I mean, it's, uh, it is absolutely almost comical how bad his answer to Oprah is. So you can check that out. Uh, at YouTube, is there anything? Uh, uh, last chance for pe- uh, for you, Mark, here to to tell people why they should get uh, the most hated man in America, Jerry Sandusky, and the rush to judgment. Well, you know, I think it's not just about the Jerry Sandusky case. It's an illustration of the impact that a media blitz and a moral panic can have, and. You know, we supposedly live in the society where uh, we have a free press, and yeah, you have a free press to a degree, so you can put your stuff on on YouTube, and and, uh, I can uh, write my book and finally find somebody to publish it. But, you know, it was hard. It was, this is surprising to me. I mean, I have quite a few books that have been critically acclaimed. Some of them have been bestsellers, and yeah, and this is a book about a very high-profile case and taking a point of view that is extremely surprising to most people. It a no-brainer, a no-brainer that a major publisher would take this book. But guess what? They wouldn't. Uh, hold on because a second, Mark. Mark, who, who told you several years ago that that would be the case? You. 
Okay. And what, and what was your response to me when I, uh, when I told you, Mark, you're high if you think you're going to get a major publisher to, to publish this book? Well, I said, you might be right, John, but I'm going to try to do it anyway because yeah. I just think it's the right thing to do. I, I, I think I you were did. a little bit more dismissive than that, actually, but I don't remember your exact words, so I'll let, I'll let you off the hook no, on that. No, I, I did. But, I, 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 you were right. If you want me to say you were right, <laughs> that, John, that's, that's fair I'm enough. I'll, I'll take it. John, you were right. <laughs> thank you. That's that, Thank you. And, and, when I, and I told you the book would be ignored uh, because it would not be uh, published by a major publisher. Who was right about that? Well, we don't know quite yet. As the book is, uh, the official publication date is actually in four days, so okay. it hasn't been ignored quite yet. We'll see. All right. So, uh, but uh, well, I will say it's been frustrating. You, you were on the Glenn Beck show, and of all the you know major uh, places that I would think would pay attention to me, it would be Glenn Beck, and I can't get his uh, producer yeah. to answer me at all. That's weird. Well, I told you um, many times. That not only would you not get published, but that it, the best, the best you could hope for, sincerely, the best you could hope for by the media's reaction to this would be to be ignored uh, as opposed to being totally, completely and utterly destroyed. Uh, and um, and there's, there's a reason why your first interview for this book is with John Ziegler and not Matt Lauer. It's because, yeah. it's because I was right about that, too, because there's, this case yeah. is unique. It, it is, and, and you use the right word invested invested is the most important word in this entire case everyone is invested in a fairy tale and getting them uninvested is going to be impossible but i but i do salute you know john i I do i'm still naive enough to think yes you are that that (laughs) that my my book is well written sure it's well argued it's extremely well documented yep if people will just read the damn thing, if they will read the book before they make a judgment, I think it might make a difference. I hope so. Well, I, I, well Mark, know. and here's where it does make a difference, okay? And this, I applaud you for this. You have put forward an important part of something that will capture the historical record of what really happened here. And so that has significance, all right? And you're to be applauded for that, and I thank you for doing that. I know you put a lot of time and effort into this. But the book will be ignored at best. And, uh, but on the, on the bright side, you have helped put forward the historical record of truth. And for that, I thank you. Well, and I thank you. I mean, I, I sent you a copy of Memory Warp, the book about repressed mm-hmm. memories. And in the, uh, did you read the inscription of it? Um, that you wrote me? Yeah, I wrote an inscription to yeah, you. You in said the book. follow uh, quest for truth, and yes, it does matter. Page three sixty six. I went to page three sixty six, and I didn't understand what you were referring to. There's a section in the book that says avoiding the truth trap. Yes. These, these therapists say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether your repressed memories of sexual abuse are true or not. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter. And, of course, that's absolutely absurd. It matters hugely. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Whether right. that there really is well, such a thing as truth. Well, and so you and I, uh, want, we're different in many ways. We, we have different <laughs> political persuasions. We have different uh, styles of, of, of going about things. But one thing we're very similar in, John, and that is we would like to pursue what actually happened and what is true and what is not true and i applaud you for having been dogged at this and you won't let it go and to your 
personal costs, and I applaud you for, for, for all of what you've done in this case. And Well, you've given me two copies of Memory Warp. Am I going to get a copy uh, of The Most Hated Man in America? Yeah, it's just I'm sending in a, a – <laughs> Uh, I sent a request for them to send it to you, but they, they just got their copies right. uh, yesterday. All right. Well, I'll so look, I'll look, get one. I'll look forward to it. All right. Mark Pendergrass, thank you so much for your time. It, uh, the book is available uh, via Amazon and other places, right? I mean, that's, that, that's the easiest yeah, place. Yeah, you can order it through your local bookstore, which I urge people to do. Get it into the bookstore. Okay. But uh, you can order it on Amazon. You can order it directly from Sunbury Press also. They have a website. Okay. This very brave, nice, small Pennsylvania publisher guy. God bless them who right. took this book on. Mark Pendergrast, uh, author of the book, The Most Hated Man in America, Jerry Sandusky and the Rust of Judgment. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. All right. Uh, and uh, I do urge you to, to read the book because it is an important part uh, of the historical record of an incredible, amazing case. Uh, Mark and I, as you can tell, <laughs> do not always see eye to eye. We have had very strong disagreements. We have hated each other at times during the last several years, but I'm glad he did do this uh, as far as the work of of, uh, journalism is concerned. I do have concerns, however, that if this book ever did get a proper hearing in the media, that Mark would get destroyed. And I've told him this for, for years. Mark is incredibly vulnerable because of how he got into the topic of repressed memories and his personal story of how he suffered because of what he says, and I believe him, are false memories from his children. That if this story ever did, if his book ever did get a lot of media coverage, the media would destroy him. They would act like he was the great-grandson of Adolf Hitler claiming that there's no Holocaust. And I have warned him about this for years, that he is the wrong guy to write this book because of the unique nature of this case, uh, my track record is that I'm usually right, <laughs> unfortunately. I, I actually am hoping for Mark that in this case, the book just gets ignored and does serve its purpose as an important part of the historical record. Hour number three, we are uh, going to be joined by Elizabeth Loftus, who Mark referenced there, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, one of the world's foremost experts on memory, who also believes, I, be- I think, and I know she's testified on his behalf, that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. So that's a little bonus interview in hour number three. Also, make sure you check out last week's hour number three, uh, where we spoke with the uh, fiancé, former fiancé of a Sandusky accuser who bragged to her that he lied for $5 million and was never abused by Jerry Sandusky. You can find that uh, most easily at, at my website, framingpaterno.com. As usual, please share this uh, podcast via social media, Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, what have you, and do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free.
Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code twelve twelve and get forty dollars off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com. Promo code twelve twelve. Sleepcoolnow.com. One two one two. Coffee.